0: How about that, I man, summer is here. We had wonderful weather this past few days. And you know, unbelievably, what happened yesterday to me, yesterday, a couple of days, I think it was Friday, I was uh, jumping on a trampoline with my granddaughter, and out around the corner came my daughter from Virginia Beach. Just sh- I'm like, what is that? <laughs> We're glad to have my daughter Faith with us from Virginia Beach. Love you, sweetheart, glad you're here. Hey, you know, this is the graduation season. And, uh, man, we're seeing people graduate. And, man, remember that day when you graduated? That was a, that was a miracle, wasn't it? Come on, somebody. I know it was for me. <laughs> I remember. Well, I, mean, I was like an A. I was like a B, C student most of my, my my time in school. And um, they uh, when, when graduation day showed up, uh, they they put little bullet points by the honor society, you know, on the program, and they would made a mistake and put one by me. I felt like God had just justified me the whole time. <laughs> you know, I felt like. I had a breakthrough, it was a miracle, and everybody was like, "I didn't know you were an honor society, I'm like, I just smiled. I didn't, you know. Sometimes you just don't have to explain nothing. You just, yeah. But anyway, graduates here this way. If you have graduated from high school or from college, would you please stand? Would you please stand right here would you, and just stay standing? Come on, now, y'all got to be brave now. Come back in the back over here. Come on. All right, stay. Don't, don't sit down. Don't sit down. Yeah. Stay, stay standing, stay standing, stay standing. Stay, stay standing for just a moment. And we just want to pray for you. Is that okay? Can we do that? Would you mind being prayed for? Would you mind that? Yeah, like, I don't care. Just I just want to sit down. <laughs> Well, we're going to pray. So if you see someone is standing near you, would you stretch your hand out towards them? I just want to leave us in a prayer. Father, we thank you for these graduates today. Thank you for, Lord, all that they've gone through and uh, the hard work they've gone through and put, put in. And we just pray, Father, for the days and months ahead, the decisions they have to make, that you'll lead them and guide them by your spirit. And we thank you for doing that because you love us. And you're faithful. And we give you all the thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. One more time, can you give a good thanks? (laughs) Appreciation for y'all. Appreciate you guys. Awesome. Good job. Well done. Well, I don't, uh, I always want to welcome everybody watching online. Thank you for watching. Glad you're there with us. And, appreciate you being here on online. I don't know if you heard about the pastor. He's trying to raise some money for his church, trying to build a new building. And so he came up with a creative idea. He said, I'll tell you what, um, anybody here that will give a thousand dollars to our new building program, um, I'll let you pick three hymns today. And uh, I said, all right. And so this lady in the back, she said, I- I'll give a thousand. He said, all right, well, come on down here and Pick three hymns. So she walked on down the front. He said, Well, you got three hymns you want to pick? She turned around. And she goes, I want him, him, and him. Right over there. <laughs> you don't pass off a good opportunity like that. No, sir. Which brings me to the title of our series we're in called Carpe diem. It's a Latin term which means seize the day. And last week we talked about. How to just take every moment, live in every moment, and what that looks like, and challenge ourselves in that area. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever in your life wanted to do something, but just couldn't get over the fear that came with it, like standing up as a graduate and being recognized? You know, just, just saying. I mean, have you ever had a fear? Like, come on, you know, look, look, like the first job interview. Remember that first job interview you had, and you were so nervous and didn't know how to conduct yourself or what they were going to ask you and, and the, just kind of the nervousness. Or maybe that first day at the new school. How many remember that? What a terrorism type of experience that is. That, I remember, the first, and some of you have gone to so many new schools and experienced it over and over again. I remember when we moved here years ago. My oldest daughter, who you just saw uh, there on the announcements, uh, for the first two weeks, she, she we had to go through this whole. This whole scenario every morning where she just would collapse and have an emotional breakdown before she left to go to school. And, and uh, we had to coach her into going. She goes, I don't want to go. No one likes me. No one, you know, I sit by myself at the lunchroom and all that. Yeah, well, you know, um, school wasn't to learn for her. It was about socialism, you know, social, not socialism, social, <laughs> social. Oh, that was a bad. Strike that from the records right there. It was a social experience, is what I was trying to say. <laughs> so, anyway, after two weeks, she met a couple of friends and we never heard that again. And, but it was a frightening moment for her, it was fearful for her. How about that first time you had to ask that girl out for a date? Come on, first time you ever asked a girl out for a date? Guys, you know what that was like, it was terror. It was absolutely terror. I remember my grandfather and I uh, I would spend sometimes a couple weeks in the summer with my grandfather in southwest Missouri, and he was a farmer, and, and some of the things he liked to do were farmer things, like go to tractor pulls and go to rodeos and things like that. And, and so I remember we went to this rodeo. It was like a little country rodeo. We were, went one night, and, and uh, he got some popcorn, and, and uh, as we we're walking in, right, right there by the, you know, by the fence, there's there these guys on on these bulls and they're riding these bulls, big old round fat animals and big old heads bigger than my body and, and I was never seen anything like that before. And I said, Gramps, what are they doing? They said, they're riding bulls, son. And uh, for eight seconds, you know, you get a prize if you can hold on for eight seconds. He goes, you want to do that? I said, yes, sir. I, oh, I don't know. I don't know. He goes, yeah, you could do that. And then he walked up to the stands and started sitting there watching. And I literally thought that's what he... I could do this. He he asked me if I could do if I wanted to. And so I, I sat there for, for about 40 minutes saying to myself, I can do this. No, I can't. I can't do that. I, I can do this. No, I can't. And finally, after 40 minutes of just just fear, just like, oh no, I I could break every bone in my body. I, I finally went to my grandpa, he's up in the stands. I go, "Gramps, I'm ready. He goes, ready for what? i said, I'm ready to ride that bull. He said, What are you talking about? I said, You told me, you asked me if I wanted to ride that bull. He goes, boy, what are you talking about? Sit down here, that that bull will break your back. Sit down here and eat some popcorn. I'm just kidding with you. (laughs) 40 minutes of terror he put me through for no reason. You had those moments, I'm sure you have. Listen, when we begin a relationship with God, the first thing we begin to realize is that we have to take the first step. And if we take the first step, guess what? God will begin to reveal himself for the second step. There's a tradition, story, a legend in Judaism that when Moses had brought the Israelites to the Red Sea after they had fled Egypt and they were now there faced with the Red Sea in front and the army behind and two mountains on each side, Tradition, Jewish Jewish tradition says that there was a guy named Nishon, N-A-S-H-O-N. He was the great, great, great grandfather of David. And this guy, Nishon, he was from the tribe of Judah. They say, got up when Moses said, we need to go forward. And he went down to the water's edge and he waded into the water. Ankle deep, we don't know. Knee deep, we don't know. Waist, chest, perhaps neck deep. And before you know it, the waters begin to separate. He goes down in Jewish history as a great leader because of his courage, one great act of courage, he saved the nation of Israel. The problem with going forward sometimes is that there's no way forward. Come on. You see a Red Sea, You see an impossible situation. You see a scenario that doesn't look like it's gonna turn out well in your behalf. But it's there at that sea that God said, you know what, I'm stepping in and I'm gonna cause that sea to split in two and a miracle begin to take place. There's an old saying that if you will do the natural, God will do the super. And together between you and God, you can experience to walk in the supernatural. You have to take a calculated risk sometimes. Sometimes in life, you have to step out and go, you know, this doesn't seem very comfortable to me, but I, I, I'm going to just wade out here into the water. I'm going to, I'm going to step out here and make a defining decision that, that could possibly turn out bad, but it could possibly turn out really great. I'm gonna at some point I'm gonna realize that I have to take a flying leap of faith. And the first step is always the hardest, isn't it? It's that first phone call to that girl for the date. It's that it's that first day at school. It's the first thing and you have to you have to overcome that that inertia that, that is built up in, in that moment and you have to stop it and you have to say, you know what, I, I, I know what my fears are saying, but, but I'm going to exercise initiative and I'm going to exercise faith and I'm going to move forward and I'm going to jump out there and I'm going to watch God do something supernatural. That's what God's looking for. I, now, this is, I just want to just take a moment and let's just reflect about this story in Exodus chapter 14, where we're taking this passage of Scripture. In fact, let me just read it to you, and then we'll go back and kind of walk through it for a moment. Exodus chapter 14, the Israelites turned back and encamped near Pi-Haharoth between Migdal and the sea. And they were to encamp by the sea directly opposite baal Zephon. And Pharaoh will think, the, Z, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion. They're hemmed in by the desert. And God says, "I'll harden Pharaoh's heart, I'll pursue them, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord." So the Israelites did this. So what happened is that the Israelites have been slave for three, 430 years in Egypt. Can you imagine 430 years? That's almost about twice the age of our nation. 430 years, they've been slaves to Egypt. They built the pyramids for them. They built buildings and palaces and cities. Egypt became great on the backs of these Jewish people. They've been brought to this nation as just a few handful of people through the family of Jacob, years, 430 years, and have populated the land of Goshen, and they were there and, and, you, and they were just nothing more but slaves. Can you imagine what life would be like for your father and his father and his father's father to wake up every day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, and all you do is you work from sunup to sundown. You have no vacation. You have nothing to live for. There's no holidays. There's no fun in life. There's nothing to look forward to. No going to the beach on the weekend. There's no, 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 no nothing to look forward to. Just live your life. Work, work, work. There's no singing going on in, Israel, in Egypt. No one's singing. No one's playing music. No one's dancing. It's like a, a community, it's like a nation, if you would, of just a cloud of depression. Everyone was always discouraged and depressed, down, no excitement at all. In fact, when the husband would come home at night, he would take off his shirt and no doubt on his back would be scars where he'd been whipped because he didn't work hard enough that day. In fact, probably most of the people in that community of people called Jews all had scars on their back for they didn't work hard enough. Or because some angry Egyptian master was upset that day and is having a bad day and he would take it out on these people working. Can you imagine living life like that? Can you imagine every day, can you imagine tomorrow working sun up to sundown for a hard, mean person and then Tuesday and then Wednesday and Thursday and imagine an entire lifetime spent doing this. And then you die. And then your son does the same thing. And your daughter. I can't imagine that. Even though there are countries even now where similar types of things are happening. And this is the kind of people that have been going on. This has been going on for years. And and then out of nowhere comes this guy named Moses. He, he, He comes from nowhere and he walks into the region and he... And he begins to talk to the leaders of the Jewish community he says, hey, God told me to come here and bring deliverance to this, this people here. They're like, Whoa, well, who are you? Oh, I'm a shepherd. I, I'm, I've been shepherding for about 40 years. He's got weathered skin, his skin looks like leather. He, he, he's just, just an old man. And people are like, who is this man? I don't know, but we heard that he's gonna go talk to Pharaoh, that God, God spoke to him in a burning bush. What? He to, God said he's supposed to set the people free. In fact, he's got an appointment tomorrow with Pharaoh, so he goes and meets with Pharaoh and tells Pharaoh the Lord says that they're supposed to let the people go. Pharaoh laughs at him, are you kidding me? That, get out of here. He goes, no, I'm telling you. If you don't let the people go, God's going to totally dismantle this nation. At that point, Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world. It would be like some guy walking in from, you know, the hills of Tennessee or, you know, coming from, you know, Canada down to the Washington, D.C. and telling the president, hey, you need to let all the Americans go because God's going to dismantle this country. Can you imagine it would be like, that's crazy. Get out of here. But gradually, week by week, perhaps over a course of months, we don't know how long, but God began to dismantle Egypt. We saw locusts begin to come and swarm the land, and all the all the the, the crops had been totally eaten by the, the locusts, and and the 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 the, the water was turned into uh, contaminated water. It was no longer even good to drink, and 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 then all the livestock were killed. And still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He he was. He was steadfast and resolute. I'm not gonna let these people go. No way, this is not gonna happen not on my watch. There was smell of frogs everywhere. Animals lay dead everywhere. Um, the, the, the people started dying themselves. The firstborn started dying. Finally, Pharaoh said, that's it, that's it. Okay, enough already. Get out of here. And, and in one moment, one evening, the word comes to the people in Goshen, get up, he's letting us go. Can you imagine the excitement after 430 years of being a slave, suddenly the new, knock on the door, he said, you can go, we can go, come on, go, let's go, and just grabbing your knapsack, your, backs, your backpack and saying, let's go, and you're grabbing your donkey, your oxen, whatever you got, and you're heading out the door, and you're meeting all your friends and your neighbors, and all these people that have been for 430 years slaves, and you wander out into this desert, You're so excited! You're so happy! Then when someone dares to ask the question, "Where where are we going?" (laughs) Oh, it don't matter where we're going. We're just not there. Come on, this is exciting. Then someone else says, "Who's leading us again?" I think someone said his name's Moses. He hears from God. They say, (laughs) "Okay." All right, well, hey, come on, let's do it. And there, there's the three. First day they're partying, second day they're traveling, they're partying, everyone's smiling. The third day they're still excited, they're walking on air in a sense, and they're just enjoying this experience. And they get between two mountains, and, and then there's a Red Sea in front, and then someone says, Hey, look behind. And they look behind, and they see a cloud of dust. It's the Egyptian army. They're going to kill us. And then they all turned to Moses. Is that what you wanted to do? Was this, all? Oh, this was your idea. Bring us out of here and kill us. Oh, this is wonderful. This is just absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much, Mr. Moses. We could have died in Egypt for that. And Moses is at this impasse, right? Hmm. It's interesting when you go read this passage that I just read for you that God told him. I want you to go and camp at this place called Pai Haharath. It's an interesting word. It actually is the word sage, which is a grass. And the word sage means to cut or to be cut. And so I, I saw this. I'm like, I think there's something here. And I think this is exactly what God does, doesn't he? Before you can ever move into the promises that God has for you, if you can ever move, before you ever move into the destiny and the purpose in which you were born, guess what? There's always going to be a cutting that takes place first. God had to do a quick cutting. He had to cut some things off. When the New Testament, we call it pruning. Old Testament, they call it Roth. It's the same thing. We're going to cut some things off. There's some things that need to You need to lose before we go into this promised land and this journey that I have for you. And what did they have to cut off? You know what they had to cut off? What they were all facing together at one time. Fear. Turn to your neighbor and ask him, what are you scared of? They were all fearful. They were all living in fear. You've been there, I've been there. I mean, there was, we, we just went through oh, uh, about a year ago where a whole nation, in fact, the whole world was living in fear. And here's what Moses says to the people. Fear you not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you this day. Oh, and this is beautiful language right here. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today you shall see them again no more forever. For the Lord shall fight for you and shall hold you shall hold your peace. How many know God is fighting for you? And you, you have to know that. And when you understand that, there's no fear. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher and theologian from the late 1800s said, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. It's time to kiss the wave that has thrown you against the rock of ages. The Israelites were right there. They see the Egyptian army has forced them into this place, there's no escape. They are in a fix that they can't fix. Isn't that just like God? He puts you in a fix that you can't fix. Thank you, Jesus. Why? To show you the strength of his strong right arm. I remember meeting someone, I've met many people now in my lifetime, who have learned to lean in and kiss the wave that thrown them against the rock of ages. I would take our youth group every, sun, every other Sunday when I was a youth pastor in Mississippi and we would go to a nursing home and I felt it was important for the young people to understand that life doesn't revolve around them. It, there's other people that got problems and issues. And so I wanted to expose them to other people that had situations going on in their life. So we went to this um, nursing home. And so I said, we'll split up in twos and everybody go to a room and uh, spend some time. And so they all split up in two and they all started going down the hall and walking into a room, introduce themselves. They were just doing wonderful. And I was by myself. I said, Well, I need to go too. So I, I went into this lady's room, an older lady's room. And it was, it was not like other p- rooms. She had pictures on the walls, and she had uh, looked like letters that had been written to her on the walls. And when I walked into this lady's room, she was laying in her bed. I'm telling you, I, I sensed the presence of God in, in a sense of peace. I sensed a peace. There was a chair there, and I sat down, I introduced myself, and she smiled, and she introduced herself. She began to tell me her story, how she had been a school teacher, and a lot of these pictures and letters were from some of her former students she had years ago. They still write her, and communicate to her. She began to tell me how and why she's in this bed. She had contracted polio as a teenager and was paralyzed from the waist down, was never able to walk. And went on to be a school teacher and even be married and have children, believe it or not. And, and, but the, what really struck me in this whole dialogue was, was she was like peering into my soul. And she was asking me questions that were piercing like, you doing okay, son? No, I, know, I just met this woman. Oh, yes, ma'am, I'm doing fine. Because I don't think you are. I'm like, really? She goes, no, I, you seem tired. You seem a little discouraged. What's bothering you, son? I mean, before the hour's up, I was like, oh, <laughs> I, was like, oh that's sob. I was a sobbing mess. And she just sat there in her bed, and she just stuck, stuck her hand out and, and began to pray for me. Didn't touch me, just stuck her and began to pray for me. And then the kids showed up in the room and said, um, Pastor, are we going to go anytime? We're going to like to eat lunch, you know? Come. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. So, listen, I made sure from that point on, I always went to this lady's room. And every time I went into her room, she just blessed me supernaturally. It was incredible. I felt like I had my own private psychiatrist. You know what I'm saying? It's like, a spiritual guidance counselor. It was amazing how it all worked out. And I learned that from her life and from other people that when something rocks your world, it can really have the potential to, to shake you forever. You, ha- you have the opportunity to turn that baby around and, and make something powerful come from your life as a result of the pressure you've come under. Come on, somebody. God can do that through your life. So three things I wanna give you really quickly that you have to do when you've been kissed by the waves of life. And now let me just say this as a disclaimer, some of you here, things are well for you, things are going good, you don't have a big wave throwing you against the rock of ages, yet. <laughs> but it's probably coming at some point. And, 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 others, and others of you may be in this very moment. I'm sure there are, there's no doubt, some people have been hit by a wave recently. What do you do when you've been hit by a wave? Number one, you have to face your fear. You have to face your fear. You, you, the, the, the Jewish people, they're there, they don't have weapons. They don't, haven't been trained for war. They, they have nothing. They, they have nothing to defend themselves with. They have no allies. They have no lifelines. They have no one to call. Hey, can you send an air support? We got a problem behind us. It's coming up on the backside. They have nothing. They're, they're there for just the taking of the Egyptian army. They, they are sitting ducks, if you would. There is nothing. They, obviously, they have room for fear. You've been there before. And maybe you will be at some point, There these points where you feel so vulnerable, where where you feel like your heart's being ripped out of your chest, where, where things are going on around you that you have absolutely no control over, and you're asking yourself, how do I get out of this mess that I'm in? The thought is this, though. You can't have courage if you don't have fear. So fear comes to paralyze and destroy you, but God wants to turn it around to introduce you to this term called courage. And once fear shows up at my doorstep, courage now becomes an option in my life. You were born with only two fears in your life, is what we're told. You were born with the fear of, being, uh, of falling and the fear of loud noises. And I would add to that, A fear of snakes. (laughs) Because I'm sure I was born with that fear. If you want to see a grown man run really fast, you just throw a snake up in my face, I promise you. I will run. Every other fear in life, we're told is learned. You weren't born with it. You learned it. The fear of speaking in front of people, the, the fear of um, the, the fear of rejection, the fear uh, of, um, just name the fear, the fear of death, all the fears that come. You, you had to learn these fears. So here's the good news. If you had to learn fears, guess what you can do? You can unlearn fears. Well, how do I unlearn a fear? I'm glad you asked that question. It's called faith. Faith allows us to enter into a process where we begin to dismantle fears that we've adopted in our life over a period of time. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 John 4, such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. Come on now. I love that promise. In fact, the King James Version says that that perfect love casts out fear. Once perfect love enters into your life, it's like, fear, you're out of here. You have no place here. So the point is, when I live in perfect love, there's no fear. It's funny, you see these people with bumper stickers and you know, window stickers and it says no fear. Have you seen those, you know? And then you come up beside them and, and yell behind them, you know, they, they, they jump and everything. Well, they, they, they obviously have fear. But we're only allowed to fear one thing. You're only allowed to fear God that's the only thing we're allowed to fear, Proverbs 9.10. The fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And so in other words, the fear of God means this, to hold God in highest esteem, to revere God above everything else. And so when you are fearing God and you're walking in the fear of God, guess what? That fear itself of him, as he now lives inside you, will begin to dismantle all the other fears. Now, recently we've gone through this thing called vaccinations. I'm almost hesitant to bring up the subject because it's a hot topic to a lot of people. But the vaccinations typically work under this premise that you take a little bit of something that's very bad, you inject it into your system, and then your system builds up antibodies that... If you ever run into this disease down the road, you will have something to protect yourself against it because you've worked up antibodies. Well, here's what God does. The only way to overcome fear is for you to begin to be given small doses of fear until you build up an immunity against the fear. I'm Ava Grace this is a good example. My granddaughter, you hear me talk about her very often because that's what grandfathers do. In fact, I've been trying to teach her what my name is. It's Pops is what I tell her, but she says Pa. That's all she can, she can't say Pop, so I'm just Pa. So pa, so I took little Ava Grace out, and I introduced her to a thing called a dog. And it was a very large dog, <laughs> in fact. And, but and it dawned on me, well, to, to her, this is like an elephant, you know, like an elephant would be to me. This dog is to her. So I, I brought her down on, on the dog's level, and the dog was just sniffing around, and, and I began to hold her, I'd hold her in my lap, and I'm petting the dog. This is the dog, he's a nice dog, he's a nice dog, he's, a nice, dog. he's, a nice, dog. he's a nice dog. No matter how much I said how nice this dog he was, she wasn't gonna have nothing to do with it. She was like, uh, oh, like this. And then she got nerve, and she reached out and she touched his head like that, and then she went like this. And that's all she did. She was done. She was done with the dog. She touched it. She was done. A couple days later, we're outside and there's another dog. And we got together and I got her the same thing. And this time, she didn't, she, she did this. She put her whole hand on his head. And then she went like this. And she was done. A couple weeks later, a couple more dogs later, now she's doing this. Now she runs after dogs everywhere she goes. <laughs> she's a dog chaser. See, the cure for the fear of failure is to experience failure in small doses. That's what the grace of God is so amazing. Some of us get so bent out of shape because something bad has happened to our life and God goes, I'm just vaccinating you. That's all I'm doing. Just shut up, roll up your sleeve, come on, we're gonna do this together. You need this. Some of us fear rejection, but you need small doses of rejection to overcome the fear of rejection. Come on, you need to be told, no, I'm not going out with you a couple times. And After a while, you're like, okay, I can do this, you know? You need to overcome the, 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 the fear of the future by having small doses of setbacks from time to time where it didn't go your way and didn't work out the way you thought. You're not going to the college you thought you were going to. You're not get the job you thought you... You didn't get the car, you didn't get the house. You you need some setbacks from time to time because it's good for you because you need to overcome the fear of failure. You need to overcome the fear of speaking in front of public people, in front of people at all. So what does God do? He puts you in small groups, the settings, the situations where he asks you to say something and you say something and it doesn't come out right and you feel all terrible but yet people still love you and they still think you're great and then you go, well, I I guess I can speak and it's okay and, and you overcome Fears by small doses of the very thing you fear. Yeah. And so fear will starve itself out in a community of faith. Some people, I don't need church. I don't need to go to a Sunday to get together. I don't need small groups. I don't need that kind of stuff. I can have church by myself. I can have church in a deer stand. I can have church in a, I can have church in a boat. Well, guess what? When The doctor says you have X amount of time to live, go out to your boat and see if your boat helps you out with your faith. Go out to your deer stand and see if your rifle is gonna help you out with your faith. No, what you need is you need a a community of faith-filled people that know how to come alongside of you and go, baby, we're in this together, you can do this, we're gonna believe in God-sized dreams. We're gonna dream big, we're gonna pray big, we're gonna talk about impossible things, we're gonna go after God-sized things. We're we're a people that believe that what is not possible with people is possible with God. We're gonna surround you with our faith, we're gonna love you into your destiny. Come on, you gotta get around faith, man. When fear comes of knocking on your door, you just go plant yourself with some God-sized, faith-filled people. That's why you need places like this on a Sunday morning. Don't belittle these moments. Don't think, well, I could go another week without. I don't need to go, you know, that's a, no one will miss me. I don't need, no, no, you need this more than you know. You need faith. I, mean, I remember, I remember I was, Melissa and I, we were, we were just been married about three years. We had Hannah, our oldest daughter, is now on the way. M- Melissa's pregnant, and I, I we move into our parents' house. So we have a baby on the way. I'm living with my parents. I'm 35 years old or something like that. I don't know. And I mean, I'm thinking, what am I? I'm, I'm some, what kind of a man am I? And this, you know, and so the enemy's just knocking, knocking me down, knocking me down. And so I said, well, listen, let's go look for some houses. Let's go look for... And so we got our budget down, we saw our numbers, and so we started looking at houses that would fit our budget. And and every house we would go to, the realtor would show us that fits our budget. We'd get in the car, and and Melissa wouldn't even talk. She was so discouraged, she was so depressed. Tears coming down her cheeks. I'd be like, hey, it's okay. You know, hey, you know, I'm trying to be the man. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm dying inside. But I'm trying, to, yeah, it's okay. We can make that thing look great. Come on. She goes, I don't want to live with that. I don't want to live with that. She knows she's got the baby out. I'm like, ah, oh, it's going to be, come on, we can do this. And the realtor says, after we spent a whole day looking at all these places that we did not want to live in, she said, listen, my husband's a builder. He just got done building a brand new house a couple of days ago. Would you like to go see that? I'm like, no, no. Absolutely no. And Melissa goes, yeah, I would like to see what a new house looks like. (laughs) I've seen nothing but bad stuff all day. So we followed to this house. It's in a brand new neighborhood. And uh, it was the latest house to be built in this brand new subdivision. And it was a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house with a garage. And it was perfect. It was just like the most beautiful house I'd ever seen in my life. I walked in, I'm like, okay, okay, let's, let's, let's go, let's go. And Melissa's like, oh no. <laughs> <sighs> and I can see she's falling in love. I'm like, come on, we got to go, we got to go. <laughs> we got in the house, I mean, in the car to drive off, and she goes, that's the house I want. How can we get not a house like that? I said, because we can't afford it. <laughs> that's why. It's called green stuff but I want that. Well, it's not going to happen. And so a few weeks later, a friend of ours was visiting with us and he'd heard Melissa talking about the situation and, and about that house that she saw that she fell in love with. He goes, J.P., you want to... She goes, I'd like to go see that house. I goes, you don't need to see that house. He said, well, no, I'd like to see, you know, what she's talking about. I go, okay, why? whatever. So I drove him over to that house. We're sitting out looking at that house. He says, you mind if I walk around? I go, dude, okay, whatever. I don't know why you were even here. Go, walk, do whatever. He walks around the house. He's looking at it. He lays his hands on it. I'm like, what is this guy? And he gets back in the car. I said, well, you ready to go? He goes, JP, I got, I got to tell you something. I said, what? He goes, I think God wants you to have that house. I said, okay then I think God needs to give me some money. (laughs) So, (laughs) I said, bro, I have no money for that house. There's no way we could ever have that house. He said, but you have God, right? I'm like, please, please, please. Yes, I have God. But don't some things come by faith? Okay, yes, why don't you have faith for a house that God wants to bless you with something like that? Okay, you're messing me up. Okay, can we go now? He goes, I'm just saying, I just think you should step out in faith and believe God for some things that maybe you don't feel like you deserve and maybe you haven't earned, but maybe you, maybe you have a God that's bigger than you think he is. So well, I said, all right. And so he left town, and I couldn't get that off of my chest, and so every day when i get off work, for some reason, I would go drive over, and I'd sit in front of that house. And I'd start finding myself walking around the house. I found myself laying my hands on the house. <laughs> I would sit there and imagine what it would be like to live in that house. I'd begin to sit there and imagine what it would be like for my kids to be Playing and drawing shock on the and, and riding bicycles on the little street, and then I started doing this crazy thing, like God would you do something impossible and Give us this house in Jesus' name. Would you, would you do that for us, God? Would you just, in Jesus, and then I started doing something crazier. I started claiming it like it was already mine. I thank you, Father, for giving me that house. Thank you, Lord. It's ours to have. Thank you, Lord. and You know you know we're not selfish. We just need a house. We're living with my parents. We're crying out loud. I need a house. And My wife's crying over here. She can't stand here. I see some help. God, please give us this house. And so I'm thanking God and praising God for it and confessing it. And my grandfather, which is like the stingiest, most selfish, the one that gave me the popcorn at the rodeo, that grandfather. (laughs) I mean, he was so stingy that he he wouldn't even put his food in Ziploc bags because Ziploc bags was spending too much money. You put it in Walmart bags, just wrap it up and write on the top of it what it is. This is my grandfather. He spent money on nothing. We never—I never had Oreos. I always had the the knockoff version, you know, the generic version of Oreos, the ones that never tasted good. We always had the knockoff of everything. When I <laughs> when we would go, we lived with him, and my mom said to him at one point when I was really little. Uh, Dad, my son needs clothes for school. We went to at that point the only like the only thrift stop shop in the whole region of Missouri. And that's where we, we shopped. I never had anything. So this was this man. Okay. I'm just telling you, give it, this was this man. And he came up to me and he said, I heard that you've been looking at a nice house. I was like, okay. Uh, yeah, but we can't afford it. And it was just, they just showed it to us. It was no big thing, you know? And, uh, cause I thought he was like going to get on to me for, you know, not living within my means and thinking outside. The, and, uh, He goes, son, I want to give you a down payment for that house. I said, are you for for real? He goes, yeah. And he gave us a down payment for that house. And that's the house that our children were born in. Well, they weren't born in it, but born (laughs) from it. And it was a miracle. It was nothing more than a miracle. All of us want a miracle. But guess what, you can't have a miracle if you're not put in a crisis that requires a miracle. Come on now. And a setback requires the building of the faith muscle. The, re- the setback requires you go, "Oh, I'm going to exercise this thing called faith. And I'm going to believe even though I see this army behind me, even though I see that I'm in a possible situation, I'm going to face my fear and believe my God is big enough to handle this situation. He is my God. He brought me here and he'll bring me through." We're not going to have time to get to all our points. The worship team if you come and we'll just go ahead. But you have to face your fear. Number two, you have to stand your ground. You have to stand. Moses said, Don't be afraid. Chapter 14, verse 13. Don't be afraid, stand your ground. Stand your ground. Stand your ground. Don't move, don't, don't go backwards, don't, don't, don't run away, stand your ground. I'm wondering if Moses had the courage at that point when he said that. I, mean, I wonder if he was second guessing himself as well. But here's what Isaiah said, 41 verse 10, do not fear, for I am, what, with you. Do not fear, I am with you. Do not fear, I am with you. Just stand there, you're not by yourself. Your God who is a very present help in a time of trouble is right there with you, stand your ground. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter six, it says this, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when, not if, When? It's coming, baby. Just hold on, the day of evil's coming. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to do what? To stand your ground. One more time. Stand your ground. One more time. Stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand, stand. Just stand. What you doing, Pastor? I'm standing. Yeah, but you know, the, the, all, you know, all hell's breaking loose around you. Yep, that's right. But I'm standing. I'm gonna stand, I'm gonna keep standing. You're not gonna push me over, I'm just gonna stand. What are you standing for? Because there's someone near me that is standing with me. And I'm gonna stand my ground. Mm. And then, lastly, hold my peace. One-third of Americans struggle with depression and anxiety. One-third. One-third of Americans suffer with anxiety and depression. How do I hold my peace when everything's falling apart? You become a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. It was in Mark chapter four where there was a big storm and Jesus stood up and he rebuked the storm. Come on, and what did he say? He said, peace be still. The literal translation for that, can I just tell you what it is? It is this, shut up! (laughs) That's really what it means. I'm not kidding, I'm not reading it. This is really what that, when he said, be quiet. He says it to the store. See, we weren't allowed to say shut up when I was growing up. Those are two words that I hardly ever used in my life. But there are times where you have to break out the old shut up. And that's when the devil comes knocking on your door. And you just have to get up and you got to go, shut up! Quit lying to me. You are a father of lies. I will not listen to you anymore. Shut your face! Shut <laughs> I kind of like that. <laughs> shut up. I could never tell my, 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 my brother to shut up. I could never tell my friends to shut up. But God gives me permission to tell the devil to shut up. And some of y'all need to be practicing the shut up method. Some of you need to be driving down the road, and it's okay. Just roll the windows up and go, shut For those who can't read lips, shut up, Satan, that's what that is. Just shut up, Satan. You listen to lies that come through all oh, fear, 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 anxiety, depression, anxiety, depression, discouragement, oh, 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 it's all high. just shut up. Peace be still. I'm a child of the living God. I'm going to stand, I'm going to face my fear, and I'm going to allow peace to enter my life. Amen. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second. You hear this morning, you say, Pastor, man, all those fears you talked about, there's a couple of them that you named as mine. Can I just say this before I even go there? I'm going to just say this. I know there's some people here this morning that you have never invited Christ into your life. You've never invited Jesus into your life. Our altar team's going to come. They're going to stand right here. But, but I want to I w- I ask you this question. Have you ever invited Jesus to come into your life? Because if you haven't, then you are prone to everything the enemy has to throw at you. Anxiety, depression, discouragement, fears upon fears will always be knocking on your door and there's nothing you can do about it except crumble under the pain. But when you invite Jesus into your life to be your partner, can I tell you what happens? He comes in as that silent partner, sets you free. Changes your life, transforms you. But you have to surrender. You take the first step in the natural. He takes the second in the super. So you're here this morning to say, Pastor JP, that's me. Today, I, I wanna know Jesus. I wanna turn my life over to him. Right where you're sitting, I just wanna say a prayer for you. But you would say, Pastor JP, that's me. I wanna know Jesus, I wanna make him the Lord of my life. Would you just raise your hand right where you're at, I'm not gonna call you out, I'm not gonna ask you to come forward, just raise your hand say, Pastor JP, I wanna know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Yes, I see those hands over on my left. Anybody else, come on, yeah. Come on, I wanna know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior in Jesus' name. I wanna know, just lift your hand, come on, this is a great moment in your life. Yeah, thank you, Lord. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer that lifted your hands, and maybe those that didn't, you're watching online, maybe you should pray this as well. I want to ask Jesus into my life. Would you just repeat this words? Can we all repeat this prayer together? Would you say this? Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Take away my shame. Take away my guilt. And walk through my life as you will. My life is yours, in Jesus' name, amen Amen. and amen. Welcome to the family of God, those that prayed that prayer. Welcome my brothers and my sisters. Thank you for praying that prayer with me. In fact, those that have prayed that prayer, we have outside in the tent when we dismiss in a moment. We have for you a Bible we wanna give you. It's a free gift Bible. So just go to that tent, give them your name, Tell him I accepted Jesus into my heart today. We're going to give you some material as well to take home with you and just to read and help you in your journey. Everybody else in the room, I would like for you to stand with me as well to your feet this morning as we get ready to dismiss. Patrick's going to come in a minute. But I want to pray for you one more time and of course we have our prayer teams up front and we do not want you to leave here without allowing us an opportunity to pray about whatever thing you need to pray about as our welcome team leaves right now to station themselves just take a moment, stay where you're at and just let me pray for you, but let me just say this I mean, this is a good word for you God wants to help you walk this thing out sometimes you need people to help you do that, sometimes you just need to say man would you just pray with me so we'd love to pray with you about whatever's going on in your life everybody else here Would you just do me a favor? Would you just raise your hands to the heavens like this, a sign of surrender? And let's just make a prayer of commitment this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you lead us to situations sometimes that we're not comfortable with. We thank you that you take us into situations that we feel like are almost overwhelming at times. But Lord, we're grateful that you're here with us, that you've challenged us to to fear not, to stand Hold your peace. Father, we guard our peace. And we learned this morning that the enemy is a liar and he desires to steal and kill and destroy. So Lord God, we will not give him our peace and we will stand through the midst of the storm. We will watch a miracle take place. And we will watch you bring courage into our hearts for the moment that we're in. We love you and we thank you for that, Lord, for you're a good God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give God some praise this morning? Amen, good word. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus. Amen. Hey, before you go, just want to remind you of three things very quickly. First of all, we've had a great day in church, amen? This has been a great day in church. Hey, uh, people may be leaving, but I want to encourage you, our prayer teams are going to stay. And We'd love to pray with you, stand and pray with you. Uh, we don't want to be so orderly that we order the work of the Holy Spirit out of here. We're going to play worship music, and so we'll stay as long as you need. Pastor Rick Sink is going to be right over here. We're going to take communion together. If you and your family would like to take communion, your friends, that's such a special moment to be a part of that. And lastly, Wednesday night at 630, we're going to have our middle school and high school services just right on the other side of the building, and our adult services right in here with Pastor Don. It's going to be great. You don't want to miss that. Hey, we love you, church. We hope you have a great week. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday at 10 a.m. Have a great week.